You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect writer and analyst. Today is Monday, May the 10th, and we are a few hours away from the Marlins beginning their West Coast road trip with a four-game set against the Diamondbacks in Arizona before heading out to L.A. for three more ball games. But the Marlins are coming off of a pretty good short homestand. They go four and two. It could have gone even better. They should have probably taken two out of three from a struggling Brewers team that came in after a four-game sweep against the Phillies. But Anytime your offense is struggling a little bit or you fall behind the Brewers, it's going to be hard to come back once you are down past the middle innings. As we know, it gets to that back end bullpen for the Brewers that has just been so good the last couple years and continuously is good between Williams, Fireisen, and Hayter. It's going to be hard to climb out of that hole. And we saw that with the Marlins ball game, although they couldn't really get anything going in game three against anybody who went out there. The Marlins did not put up a run in that ball game until the bottom of the seventh when none other than Lewis Brinson hits a solo shot off of Fire Eisen to give him his first earned run allowed of the season. And it was some kind of game for Brinson. He goes three for three, that big home run. And you got to be happy for Sweet Lou in a game against his old team. And you can just see the emotion when he's able to come through in certain situations with just so much pressure on him, so much frustration through the last couple years. And I know it's a bit of a tired topic, but even last game aside, Brinson is, in my opinion, the best option to hold the fort down for the time being for this Marlins team. I really do believe it, not just because he's hot right now, but because he just brings more to the table and has a better chance to do more than the other options. I mean, Monte Harrison is not having a three-hit ball game. I know that it's few and far between for Brinson, but Harrison would go up there with pretty non-competitive at-bats. Brinson will sprinkle in some competitive at-bats here and there. Uh, Magnera Sierra offers speed and defense, but so does Lewis Brinson, and Sierra brings no power to the plate, and even just hits-wise is not any better than Brinson right now. So this is the guy. You got to roll with Sweet Lou, whether you like him long-term or not. I think more people don't like him long-term, and I think that's extremely reasonable given the uh, high-profile and long struggles of Brinson at the Major League level. He's putting some good swings on balls right now, and if you are rooting against his success because you think it has some sort of implication on his long-term standing with the Marlins, I think that's a little bit ill-advised. And this might seem a little bit like, what are you talking about? This is more so uh, a general Twitter thing that I've seen, and I know not all of the listeners uh, to this podcast are from Twitter, but I know a large portion of Marlins fans are on that app, uh, which can be so wonderful or so toxic, and uh, the Lewis Brinson topic seems to be discussed quite often. I think the answer to the entire Brinson situation, no matter where you stand, is pretty simple. It's focus on now. This is a team in the Marlins that is three games under 500, and really, I think that is a win given the circumstances, and you're trying to tread water until Starling Marte comes back, 
Once Marte comes back, where is Brinson going to play? He's going to be a reserve player. And right now, with the way he's playing, he seems like a pretty decent reserve option and spot starter and defensive replacement. I think it's pretty clear that he has the ability to hit the ball out of the yard in any given at-bat, given the power that he has. He's obviously going to strike out a ton, but he's also going to leg out some base hits and steal some bags and take some extra bases and do some of those little things as well, aside from the fact that it's pretty clear that a lot of the team really likes him and roots for him. When we see Lewis Brinson have success now and you're like, oh, he's teasing us again. He's going to fall back on his face. Maybe he will fall back on his face, but that doesn't really matter right now because the Marlins need to tread water right now. And every single ball game that they win without all of the reinforcements back is just one step closer to being able to survive it. All kinds of contributions from any players at this point should be welcome because they need every single person to help them stay afloat in the meantime. And I really wanted to emphasize just how amazing it is that this team really is only three games under 500 because I don't think people across the league really understand how decimated the Marlins are by injuries right now and how far this is really from the actual Marlins ball club that you could be seeing a month from now. It really is far from the team that uh, could be making some moves and winning some ball games in July, August, and hopefully into September. When you look at the team right now, they're obviously missing uh, their best hitter or one of their best hitters in Starling Marte. On top of that, they're also missing their exciting shortstop second baseman, Jazz Chisholm, who has done just about everything for them from hitting home runs to swiping bags to playing good defense, and that was a huge blow. But also, and this is probably the biggest deal that I still am just so shocked that this isn't really being acknowledged more outside of the Marlins fan base, as I've seen a lot of writers of other teams or national writers or whatever it may be just talk about the Marlins as if they're not dealing with injuries right now, as if it's business as usual, but it really hasn't been for most of the season. In reality, the Marlins have really been deploying a three-man rotation for the most part if you consider who they're actually leaning on consistently for starts and who was expected to make starts going into the year. Outside of Sandy, Pablo, and Trevor Rogers you have really seen a revolving door with the four and five spot with Eliezer and Sixto out as it's been some starts by Dan Castano, some starts by Nick Neidert, as well as Paul Campbell and a couple other bullpen games. And in all of those games, started by the aforementioned pitchers who were not expected to be part of this rotation, the Marlins are three and eight. Three and eight in those bullpen games, those Neidert starts, those Dan Castano starts, those Paul Campbell starts. They're three and eight in those games. So you imagine that they probably wouldn't be three and eight if those were starts by Sixto and Eliezer. If the Marlins go, let's say, six and five in those ball games, all of a sudden you're looking at a 500 team. That easy. That's the difference, I think, right now from where they are and where they could be. And that's without even considering the impact of losing Starling Marte, of losing Jazz Chisholm, and then dealing with injuries to Brian Anderson as well. Add Jorge Alfaro to the mix on top of that, and I could I could easily argue that those players not being in the offense is easily a couple games of a difference, and now you're looking at a very justifiable explanation as to why a team is three games under 500 when they could be several games over 500. And that's also not even discussing the blown saves as the Marlins have totally shifted the way they're using their bullpen now for the most part. 
So again, the fact that the Marlins are 15 and 18 right now leaves me feeling really optimistic because you're taking a team that's three games under 500 and then adding two solid middle of the rotation type of starters in Sixto and Eliezer. Of course, Sixto has the potential to be a frontline starter and could become that as the season goes on. Then you're also adding a fringe all-star with Starling Marte and a potential all-star infielder with Jazz Chisholm. That's a huge spark plug and pretty much was leaning into being the leadoff hitter before he went down with the injury. That's also not to mention that Garrett Cooper is in the midst of the worst stretch of his major league career, hitting just 189 with a 544 OPS. Brian Anderson, who just got off the IL, is still just starting to break in, but a 607 OPS for him. And now Miggy Rowe is just starting to get going at the plate and has really heated up the last week or so. So the offense is still getting better from the guys that are healthy, and they're going to get plenty of reinforcements on the pitching and hitting side. How can't you feel pretty good about this team moving forward? It also seems like it could be a pretty decent time for the Marlins to start getting healthy, meaning the timing of when a lot of these players might be coming back as we look ahead because they have not really played that many division games outside of the Nationals. It's been a majority of games outside the division. They've played only one series against the Braves and one series against the Mets, and then otherwise have played a lot of out-of-division games as they've been banged up. That has definitely helped. They have four more games against Arizona, three more against the Dodgers, and then the division games start to ramp up. So right around May 18th is when the Division games will start to get going again. Marte won't be back then. I assume Jazz Chisholm will be back then. We saw him running a little bit before the ball game. He was flying around the bases. Jorge Alfaro should be back then. We definitely won't see Sixto in the next week, but there's a chance Eliezer could be back by the end of that trip against division teams. I think that would actually be a homestand where the 21st, the Marlins start a homestand of seven games against the Mets and the Phillies, that could be a timeline where maybe Eliezer makes his season uh, not debut as he actually pitched two innings early in the year and then hasn't pitched since. That could be his return. We'll see there, but at least the Marlins will slowly get the reinforcements back as they get ready for those division games. It's going to be tough when they head out to LA, but the Dodgers have not been playing great baseball overall, and we'll see. You know, the Marlins have somehow just had this weird ability to play up to the competition, but at times have played down to their competition. And regardless, as you go into that Dodger series and then into the division games, I think it's really important here to take three out of four from a very beatable Arizona team as the Marlins will have some decent matchups, although they're going to have to run into Madison Bumgarner again, and we'll see if Bumgarner can keep his magic going. But the Marlins just saw him, and now they'll get a chance to see him not even six days later. I think that's a really good opportunity to be able to at least build off of what he did to you last time and try to get him out of the game a bit earlier and get to that mediocre Arizona bullpen. Mediocre is generous, pretty terrible bullpen for the D-backs. So it should be a fun series. I'm going to talk a little bit more about what they have ahead, a little bit about the minor leagues, and then answering some of your questions that you had for me, some Garrett Cooper related, some potential trade deadline related questions, as well as a couple others before I get to that, a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay more for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use your easy to navigate website to find whatever car parts you need, whether it's an engine control module, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even a new carpet. 
For your classic or daily driver, you can get anything you need and a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. RockAuto.com's catalog is unique and easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals and the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts when you can just go to RockAuto.com and have it shipped straight to your door? Go to the website and let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Also brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. Basketball and hockey head towards the postseason. And you can get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs at betonline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in on the action. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up. And if you use the promo code locked on, that's one word locked on, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. That's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on that initial deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. So looking at what the potential pitching matchups are for the Marlins, I mean, as of the time I'm recording this, unless it was just posted on Twitter, which I'm not looking at right now because I'm recording, the Marlins will see Luke Weaver on tonight's game. I don't know who's pitching for the Marlins at this point. Again, unless it was just announced on Twitter, I'm assuming it's going to be another bullpen game. Could be led by Ross Detweiler again. We'll have to see. And then Pablo Lopez in game two against Mad Bum. Game three, Trevor Rogers against Zach Gowan. Of course, these are the probables. And then game four, As it's been for much of the season so far, two out of the five days, we don't really know who's going to throw, and we'll have to see, but it seems like it'll be Merrill Kelly, who's been pretty mediocre for the D-backs in that final game of the series before the Marlins head over to L.A. for a three-game set, then have a day off before traveling back to the East Coast to take on the Phillies for the first time this season. So a few good topics that uh, some listeners wanted me to discuss And I think these are some very good and important questions. And I'll start with Pauly, who asks, will Don Mattingly move Bass into lower leverage roles moving forward? Curtis and Bender and Pop are all having more success. Why keep going back to the well? And uh, Pauly, I think you've got a great point there and you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, there really shouldn't be any reason right now to have Bass in these high leverage roles, especially as other arms in this bullpen have stepped up and really risen to the occasion. It's a no-brainer. But if Don Mattingly is guilty of one thing, it is that he will stick with his guys until you literally forcibly remove them from the roster. So I am not capable of, I guess, fully answering that question because every time I think no way Don Mattingly will put a guy back out there again, he does it. He does it. And look, I think it's good to stick by your guys, but don't sink your ship trying to rescue one sailor. And Bass, look, he's actually been all right in the lower leverage situations, which I I don't know if it's a coincidence. I don't know if he just really struggles right now under pressure. It doesn't seem like he should because he was really closing ballgames out for the Blue Jays last year as they were a pretty competitive team trying to make the playoffs. So I don't know where this has come from, but I think there's been enough of a sample size here to say, okay, keep him in the lower leverage. He's been fine there. He's still a usable arm. And it's not like you don't have any other options. As you said, Paulie, you have Bender, who's looked great, but even if he hasn't shown enough yet, you have Curtis, you have Floro, 
And Garcia is obviously closing ball games out, but Floro hasn't even really been cemented in that eighth inning role, and Floro has been fantastic. I think there's several options you could go with that are more, uh, right now at least, more trustworthy than Bass. And so we'll see. I, I think at this point, it's got to be pretty clear to Don Mattingly. But again, we've seen him really, really ride out some of these struggles with relievers and players in general. So we'll see. But the writing seems to be on the wall that Bass needs to be uh, relegated a little bit to a less important role for now as he continues to try to build through having some consistency and some success and then ease him back into some more important situations. He has had, like I said, that success in lower leverage outings and had a pretty nice stretch in those lower leverage outings. Next question from Shap Daddy who asks, is there a path to Lewin and Jesus getting MLB ABs this year? I don't see it. And that's a good question. It's a really good question because I think Lewin does not really have a direct path barring injury to get consistent ABs this year, especially with the way Jesus Aguilar is hitting. I just don't see how he's going to really break into the roster right now. Of course, a lot can change over the span of a few months, but unless Aguilar goes down, and that would be Cooper's job once Aguilar goes down, although that's going to segue me into a Cooper question as well in just a moment, but I still don't really see how Lewin really finds a way to get consistent at-bats unless somebody goes down. As for Jesus, I think there is a chance for Jesus Sanchez to get some ABs this year. That one is a lot more direct in my opinion because when you look at the outfield landscape, it's a bit more fluid of a situation. You have Dickerson in left, and he has been fantastic this year uh, at the plate, really making major strides and has been a big part of the Marlins' success through a lot of the injuries. You have Marte when everybody's healthy and he's healthy in center field, and that's not going to change either. And then in right field, with Cooper struggling, Duvall could play out there, and I'm assuming you'll see Duvall getting the lion's share of the ball games right now as Cooper continues to struggle, especially because Duvall has been so good defensively no matter where you stick him. But Duvall still to me is not an every single day player. And if you want a more well-rounded offensive threat and you could potentially put a platoon together there, and of course this is assuming that Jesus Sanchez continues to just hit so ridiculously well that the Marlins feel a need to call him up, which I think is very possible as we're seeing him just look like he's putting it together quite a bit. I think you could put together a platoon there where if he's really hitting, you put him in right and he gets a lot of the starts against right-handed pitching and then Duvall would get the starts against left and can also play left field when you want to give a day off to Corey Dickerson. The only way I really see this happening is if Duvall doesn't really step up and show that he is an every single day player and can hit consistently enough to be that guy, although he has been pretty hot as of late, but we know he's a roller coaster ride. And it's also if Garrett Cooper does not kind of shake off the uh, issues that he's having right now. If Garrett Cooper isn't hitting, then the Marlins may be looking at the farm system for a potential little jolt to the offense because Cooper doesn't offer much defensively, as we know. And if he's not doing much with the bat, there's no spot for him at first right now as Aguilar has been phenomenal. And if he's not out hitting Adam Duvall, you're not going to put him out there either because Duvall is head and shoulders better defensively than Cooper and has already shown that he can play some center field if he needs to as well while the Marlins wait 
for Marte to come back. If Marte has a setback or something along those lines, that's also a situation where we would see Jesus potentially get called up, and that's also under the presumption that he continues to hit. That kind of leads me into the Cooper discussion. And Justin asks, is Cooper playing his way out of a spot on this team with Marte returning and the AAA prospects lighting it up? So that kind of leads me into the question. I somewhat answered it, but I will say this. It is way too early on both sides of this. It's too early to sound the alarms on Cooper, although we're getting there. Another week or two, and I would start to say, okay, Cooper is really struggling. He needs to figure it out. I would say another week or two, and we'll get to that point. As it pertains to the prospects, definitely needs to be another couple weeks of hitting for Jesus Sanchez, and not hitting 500, but just another couple weeks of hitting, not striking out, showing that he is starting to tap into that power more frequently, not hit as many ground balls, and if that's starting to come together, then now we're looking at more of a discussion here. Cooper has been absolutely just consistent over the last couple seasons and has earned himself the benefit of the doubt to try to work this out. Especially when we were heading into this season, everybody was trying to figure out, myself included, this was one of my biggest talking points, how do you keep Cooper and Aguilar in the lineup? Like that was the most important thing as they were looking like the two best hitters. Right now, Aguilar has been fantastic. And all of a sudden, we're not that worried about keeping Cooper in the lineup. But the Marlins really need Cooper's offensive contributions. I think that you got to wait a couple more weeks here and give him the benefit of the doubt to work things out. Because like I said, he has just been the most consistent hitter probably for this team over the last two seasons. The good news is that the Marlins seem to have some potential options if he does continue to struggle with the two most feasible options being Jesus Sanchez playing his way into a big league debut or Adam Duvall demonstrating that he can be an everyday player by continuing to stay hot and be a bit more consistent at the plate. Either of those can happen. We'll see. But I think Cooper's going to have to continue to struggle for the Marlins for at least a couple more weeks for the Marlins to start sounding the alarms on him because, again, he's earned himself the benefit of the doubt there. One more question that I wanted to answer because it's a fun one, and it is way too early for this too, but I will always talk about it, and it's potential trade targets, both acquiring and dealing uh, for the Marlins. And this is very, very interesting in terms of the dealing. It's going to be preference of prospects, right? If we're talking about which prospects are going to be dealt. But if we talk about the big league team and let's say the Marlins are struggling and they just want to sell off at the end there to try to get some prospects for some players that aren't really a part of the long-term future, uh, there could be anybody that goes there, right? Like that could be anybody from Duvall to Dickerson on an expiring contract to Aguilar, who technically has control, but probably isn't the Marlins long-term solution with Leywin Diaz waiting in the wings. There are several guys that we could see. Probably any bullpen arm potentially could be dealt as you can always cash in on bullpen arms as we've seen with the Marlins. And at times they've been reluctant to do so and it's kind of bit them in the behind. If you are a team in rebuild mode, you always want to sell high on an upcoming up and coming reliever or somebody that's just put it together and had a big year. We've seen the Marlins on the receiving end of some of those deals too, where it does not go their way trying to get a reliever to bolster a run. So I think there's a good chance anybody could go if the Marlins are struggling. If the Marlins are doing well, who could we see them trade from out of their prospects? Well, this kind of leads me into a point that I've been talking about for a little bit here, and it's that the Marlins do need to trade, at least from some of their prospects, and they don't have to make a you know short-term rental move at the deadline if they are somewhat in the playoff picture. They can still make a move that helps them now without compromising the future. A guy with control might be a little bit more expensive, but it might be a better move for them. And I just think you have to trade from your just ridiculous amount of prospects at this point because you can't keep them all. 
you just can't hold on to all of these outfield prospects. At the same time, you don't want to thin yourself out, and it's always good to have depth, but the Marlins don't need to have J.J. Boudet, Jesus Sanchez, Peyton Burdick, Cameron Meisner, Gerard Encarnacion, Griffin Conine, and Victor Mesa Jr. Victor Mesa Jr. could be better than several of the names on this list. I think he's going to play his way into being a top 100 prospect, which again, that gives you a lot of value too to your system. He has been absolutely raking through every Marlins camp, spring training, whatever it may be, and is off to a hot start this season, and everything I'm hearing about him is fantastic. So that's a guy that's climbing up through the system. You also have the 16th and 31st picks in this year's draft, and on the pitching side, you look like you have had a really good draft in 2020. Again, early, but Jake Eater, your fourth-round pick, punches out 12 in A in his professional debut, which, again, if you're starting him in A, you've already seen some good things from him throughout this uh, offseason leading in for the Marlins to do that, so clearly they're very high on Eater. Kyle Nicholas looked ridiculously good in his debut. Max Meyer, of course, looks like a can't-miss prospect. And then you also have Edward Cabrera in the mix as well. That's on top of the current rotation the Marlins have with Sandy, Sixto, Pablo, Trevor Rogers, and Eliezer, which is already full of pretty young guys. Braxton Garrett at AAA, who's been struggling a little bit. Nick Neidert, who still has value to him as a young, controllable pitcher that has put up some great numbers in the minor leagues. The Marlins have so much depth that I think you have to look to try to cash in on some of it. As it pertains to potential trade targets, that's where things get a little bit difficult because it depends on who's losing, who's going to be looking to sell, and also, of course, what the price is going to be and what the controllability is and you know when are they going to be a free agent can they extend will they extend all of those things that come into the mix of course Contreras is the name that keeps resurfacing and I think that's the one that while it's too early to make that trade now I think it's very obvious that the Cubs are going to deal Wilson Contreras. They have Miguel Amaya, one of the best catching prospects and higher floor catching prospects in baseball already in double A, should be in the big leagues by the end of this year, early next year. If the Cubs start to fizzle, it makes no sense for them to not cash in on Contreras before the final year of his contract, where then he's going to be a free agent after that. They will get the most value for him right around the middle of the season heading into the trade deadline. While maybe a steep price, this is obviously a price worth paying if you're the Marlins because the free agency catching landscape is not very good for the next few years. There's just not that many good catchers, period, in baseball right now. And free agency, you're not going to be able to really add one anytime soon. And Contreras fits the timeline and is an instant upgrade to this lineup. And the reason why I'm so focused on Contreras is when you look at the rest of the lineup, or the rest of the team, where are you going to go make a trade to try to make your team better? And that's not to say the Marlins are a perfect team, but right now, if you're trying to make a move for right now and for the future, the outfield is filled. Right now it's filled because you have Dickerson, Duvall, and Marte, and while all those guys are technically going to be up on their contracts next year, if you go to get somebody now, there's nowhere to really put them. And you also have Jesus Sanchez, who's going to probably try to push to make a debut this year. You have Monte Harrison, who you're still hoping is going to figure it out. You have J.J. Blade, who's definitely going to be on the opening day roster. And not definitely, but I think will definitely be on the opening day roster next year and could potentially force his way into a call-up at some point this season. That could be a big offensive boost. So there's a lot of internal options as well. And when you look at every position, whether the Marlins end up needing more pitching too, you have Meyer, who could be called up by the end of the year. You have also Edward Cabrera, who once healthy could be called up pretty much immediately, although I know the Marlins are going to want to get him some starts under his belt to get back into the shape of things. So the reinforcements in other areas are pretty much there. You're not going to trade for a second baseman. You're not going to trade for a shortstop. First base is accounted for. Third base is accounted for. The only place where you can really upgrade now and with the future in mind 
is catcher or bullpen. And I don't like paying big on bullpen arms. And I think just Contreras seems to make the most sense here. And it helps you in the long term also and just totally changes the landscape of this team and their projection for the team, especially if they're going to spend money still. Yes, you could extend Contreras and they'd still have probably more money to spend on one more player and figure out what that player is going to be and what they want to do, whether it's bringing back Marte or something else. A less exciting move that could still help the team now and later would be maybe a trade with the Pirates where you could get Jacob Stallings, who before you say like, oh, what is Jacob Stallings going to do? He's been really good this year, albeit only 27 games, but he's hitting quite well, 247 with a 121 WRC+. plus. He's already almost at one war. Last year in 42 games, he had a war of one. And the year before that, which was in 71 games, he had a war of 1.3. And for reference, Jorge Alfaro had a war of 1.4 in his best season in 2019, and that was in 130 games. Stalling achieved a war of 1.3 in 71 games. He doesn't strike out a ton. He plays good defense. He's 31, and he still comes with a ton of control. I think that would not be a bad acquisition for the Marlins and would help them now. 100% would help them now. And it doesn't mean that you have to move on from Alfaro in that situation. You could have an equal timeshare. And not only would you have an equal timeshare with Stalling, it gives you a better bat off the bench instead of having to use one of your bench spots on a guy that's literally only a backup catcher, right? Like Sandy Leone or Chad Wallach don't offer much value as pinch hitters off the bench. We're seeing the Marlins go to those guys last and you see why. So now you're also getting a better hitter in Jacob Stallings off the bench and that has to have some value to it too. The last few seasons, he's had an isolated power this year of 148, 128 the year before that, 120 the year before that. He offers a decent amount of power. I mean, he's just a better option and I think he's pretty underrated and he plays good defense. You can have an equal timeshare, split it down the middle. So you're not giving up on Alfaro and you're still getting some more value as a solid catcher if Alfaro fluctuates. He's also had some injury concerns as Alfaro. So now you have a better backup option if Alfaro has something, you know, flare back up again. We saw the Marlins go with this kind of option with Francisco Cervelli in the 2020 season. Unfortunately, he went down and got hurt, but that was a great decision by the Marlins to go with the higher end backup. And that's the move that I didn't really understand this offseason was even if you want to stick with Alfaro, go with the higher end backup. The Marlins could go get Stallings and then also go get Richard Rodriguez, who's quietly been one of the better relievers in baseball. He's 31 years old and serves no purpose to the Pirates. Of course, if the price isn't too high, because I don't like paying big for relievers, but Rodriguez's fastball has been one of the best fastballs in baseball, and he really only throws that pitch and dominates guys right now. So if you really don't want to give up the premium, premium prospects, and by premium, I mean you're not giving up Bladé or Meyer for Wilson Contreras. It would be maybe a Burdick and a Braxton Garrett, or maybe even if you had to, Edward Cabrera. But if Max Meyer is performing the way he's performing, and Edward Cabrera has had his consistent injury issues, I don't think it's that insane to part ways with Edward Cabrera if the return is right and you know you're going to extend whatever player you get. I know that sounds crazy because I am incredibly high on Edward Cabrera, but look at the rotation and look at Max Meyer and some of the other arms that are emerging. Maybe you can cash in on Edward Cabrera and get rid of a little bit of volatility there. I'm not saying I want him traded, but if you can get the right player in return, if we're talking about a potential you know, needle mover big time, you got to cash in. And I know Marlins fans 
really don't like it when I talk about that, but it seems like the right move. And if you don't want to do that then, if you want to give up some lower level players and not quite as high of a prospect value, then go get Jacob Stallings. He's under control until 2025, and he's clearly shown that he's a pretty darn good catcher and is capable of being an everyday guy if Alfaro ends up proving he's not the dude. And I'm fine with that move as well. I just need to see a more reliable catcher. Alfaro can be that guy if he's healthy, and you can try and hope that he's going to continue to build on what he was building on ahead of the injury. But let's have a better contingency plan and split the time up a little bit more because I don't want to deal with the inconsistency of Alfaro if I'm the Marlins. And when he's hot, you can ride the wave. And when he's not hot, you can go with Stallings a bit more. Just give yourself a little bit more insurance. Plenty of teams have two startable catchers. Look at the Reds with Tyler Stevenson and Tucker Barnhart. We're seeing the Yankees go with Higashioka and Gary Sanchez. We're seeing other teams do something similar. And you know what? It's a liberty. But with the inconsistency and the wear and tear of catcher, I think that's not a bad move whatsoever. And you're also setting yourself up for the future if Alfaro isn't your guy. So that's my take on that. And as we head into now, about three hours out from the first game of this series against the D-backs, the Marlins need to take three out of four. I really think it's a big one for them to try to get some momentum going into a tough stretch against the Dodgers and then some division ball games. So it should be fun. You know, I'll have the recaps for you and plenty of Marlins discussion every single day. Feel free to always connect with me. You can tweet at me at rmlayton8. Let me know anything you want discussed on the podcast. and I'm always happy to talk about it. Also at Locked on Marlins. I appreciate you all for taking the time to listen and I look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.